up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Thursday, May 11th. We're back in person together. I am back home, and I'm done with school at this point, so I'm done with my third year of college. Pretty hard to believe, but uh, that means that I should be on the podcast pretty regularly at this point. I'm, I'm going to be working over the summers for the football team at UVA still like I was during the semester, and I'm continuing with them over the summer. So I will have more time on my hands in terms of, well, not really having homework. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to definitely have more time to get these podcasts out and, and, and talk some more sports. So that's going to be fun. I'm also going to have more time to watch – the playoffs. I haven't really been watching that much just because I've been so busy the past couple of weeks with finals and stuff like that. But we've had a lot of great series, uh, both in the NBA and the NHL. And we're going to be talking about those today as well as some uh, F1, some, some Formula One, because the Miami race was this past weekend. I'm sure a lot of you, even if you aren't a, a Formula One fan, you probably heard about it or saw it on social media in some capacity. It was really hyped up just because it's one of the only races. Well, it's one of two races in the U.S. Um, one where, of three this year. Uh, Las Vegas is also being added to the circuit. Oh, true. Okay. Well, there, there's Matt for you. Uh, he is on the other end here. I didn't even really get to introduce him. But, um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about those three uh, sports today. And, actually, we're going to add a little bit of a segment uh, that really matches the name of our podcast. Um, it's called the Rundown Segment. So it's going to be at the end. I, it's going to be after all the other other like specific segments. So we're going to have NBA, NHL, then F1, and then we're going to have a rundown segment, which is essentially just all the big news coming into the day or coming into the, the past couple days, like the, the recent news in sports. We're just going to kind of mention it and talk about it a little bit, but we don't, we don't want to make those topics huge topics that have really big op- open-ended questions because we want to save those topics for – kind of the meat of the podcast, which is what we start out with, which is what we have for the NBA, NHL, and Formula 1 today. So that's kind of how we're going to do it. NHL, we might not get into too much because there's not too much controversial stuff happening right now, or there's not too much to talk about, to discuss. It's really kind of just the series are are, are pretty much equal, except for the the um, Panthers-Maple Leaf series, which actually that's probably the one that I'll talk about most when we get to the NHL segment. But, But uh yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in person, um, and we're just going to get this show on the road. But first, I've got Matt over here. He's playing Clash of Clans, actually, so maybe he'll get off his phone for a little bit and, and, and talk to us. I mean, that's what I've been doing, right, Hayden? Yeah. Carrying the podcast by myself, essentially. Okay. Uh, so, yes, I hope you guys have enjoyed my solo episodes because I think I've done a pretty good job with them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as he had mentioned, I think that, you know, we're, we're kind of in that stage where we're in the middle of the second round of each of the NHL and NBA playoffs. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of kind of, you know, teams and stuff uh, left. There's a lot of, you know, drama and whatever. Uh, I guess more so in the NBA, as, as Hayden mentioned. But I think that the, and the one thing that I don't like at least about about kind of podcasts coming out and, and then like depending on when you're able to listen because most people aren't able to listen to podcasts like as soon as they come out unless you're you know a religious follower of any podcast not even just ours is the fact that like when the topics in the podcast are only directly related to or like the biggest headlines of the podcast are only directly related to one of the games that happened it's like oh well you know when uh Boston beat Philly in game three. It's like, that was amazing. It's like, yeah, okay, that was cool, but that happened like four days ago, and there's already been another game that's transpired since then, right? So 
the the topics here kind of got to be more general about you know the teams in the series and kind of what we think uh you know that will bode for the future for these teams so that's kind of why we want to take this approach instead of just being like talking about specific games because yes you know the warriors beat the lakers last night but really everybody was expecting that and so now it's three two it's headed back to la and we'll see what happens right but there's a there's a broader subject that we want to address within that series it doesn't necessarily relate to specifically you know anthony davis got a concussion or something and he's probably going to play uh in game six so right Th- that type of stuff where it's not directly you know only that one game because we can't guarantee that you're going to be getting this right you know right the day after it happens uh so and, and honestly by the time this comes out it'll be basically 24 hours until the next time they play anyway right so at that point it's like you, you only have like literally 24 hours or less than that because you have to listen to the entire episode or whatever until that next game is played so so that's why we kind of went with the theme of this episode yeah exactly so with that being said we're just gonna hop right into the nba and then get to nhl and then f1 so nba first so the celtics Sixers series has been a really really good one uh philly just won two in a row so they were down two one and now they're up three two and it's going back to philly tonight which is I mean, that, that bodes well for them because if they can win tonight in Philly, they close it out and they win the series against probably the most star-studded team in the in the finals, I mean, in, in the playoffs right now and basically in the NBA. So, um, yeah, I mean, the Celtics have been a really tough team to take out over recent years, but the East is really tough in general. So, um, Philly's looking really good. James Harden, is he's he's pretty much back. I mean, he hasn't had he's, – he's had a rough stretch of – many years uh many recent years but he looks like he's back in in his true form and honestly if he's playing well and Embiid is are play, is playing well they basically can't be stopped i mean Embiid won MVP as we know and the only other person that could have gotten it was Jokic but we we've seen how Embiid can get i mean he, i think he was the highest scorer this whole season so this, this, the Sixers are just super, super good on all cylinders. Um, but I think it's, fa- it's it's safe to say, and Matt wrote this down on the topic, it's safe to say that both of these teams have the most star power left in the playoffs, and they're they're playing each other right now in the second round of the playoffs, Ho- each team hoping to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. So it'll be interesting to see which one gets there. Obviously, like we said, it's going back to Philly tonight. Philly's up 3-2. Uh if they do get to the Eastern Conference Finals, yeah, we'll, we'll see more of that star power. But the like the topic for today and the topic here at hand is, is it fair to argue that the winner of this series will probably be, will probably win the finals or be, be the NBA champion? It's the question. And that's why I put it in here, right? It's, that's like the toughest thing to answer at this point. Uh, and, and really, you thought this going into the series, right? Because they had a, you know... A, all season long, it was kind of, you know, they're two of the three best teams in the East. Milwaukee, obviously, being the best overall. Milwaukee was the best team in the NBA in the regular season. They had the most regular season wins. And then, obviously, we saw how that went down when they faced up against Jimmy Butler. But that being said, the Celtics and Sixers are obviously, you know, they're two the other two best teams in the East. Not only that, but they're also in the, arguably the biggest markets in the entire country for a major professional sport at this time of the year. Uh, obviously, you know, both Philly and Boston are, 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 are hardcore fans and their fans are, you know, rowdy and, and they love their teams a lot and, and they haven't really experienced too much success respectively in their, you know, with their, regarding their teams, at least in the past, um, you know, few months here, obviously, you know, you had, you had Boston who, the Patriots were great forever. They are now probably the worst team in the AFC North, right? Or the AFC East, that that whole division. Uh, the Bruins, I mean, come on, dude. Like, you know, they probably the most historic 
regular season of all time in the NHL, and then they're up three to one against the Panthers, and they lose three straight, and they're out of they're out of the playoffs in the first round. And then obviously the Boston Celtics, who again, you know, second or third uh, best team really in the NBA, because I think at this point, in, in terms of the regular season records and everything, the East was actually better than the West this year. So you could argue Boston um, season long, they had, and if you average like their offensive efficiency rating with their defense efficiency rating, I think they were the best in the league. I think they were, you know third on offense second and on defense or whatever so averaging all the statistics and everything boston was probably the best team in the league and and we've just kind of seen them struggle and this even i mentioned this in the in the in the last podcast i did by myself which in their first round uh series against the hawks where you know it's it's a it's a closeout game six right uh and they're you know they're winning well i think it was i think it was game five they're winning they're up three one in the series and they're at home um they're winning most of the game and then trey young just hits a buzzer beater three and wins the game it's like you're gonna let atlanta come into boston and win that game like it, it just doesn't it doesn't feel like this is the best team in the league and similarly with philadelphia i mean to not even to mention they're <laughs> this could get really ugly for the 76ers depending on how far they go in the playoffs um they lost the world series Right, so that the Phillies were in the World Series against the Astros this past fall. Uh, the Phillies lost the World Series, and then obviously you have the Super Bowl loss. So Philly was in the Super Bowl, and they lost to the Chiefs. And then even their MLS team, the Philadelphia Union, were in the championship of the MLS, and they lost. Right, and then now we have the 76ers, who are probably the favorite at this point um, now to get to the finals from the East. And you know, kind of depending on who they're faced up against, they might also lose in the finals. So, so the city of Philadelphia could lose four major professional sporting championships in the span of like eight months, which is, which is pretty crazy. Um, and just goes to show that, you know, again, these are two huge markets in the U S and their fans are crazy in a good way. And, and you know, that that's, I think that just makes for better ratings and make for better entertainment and television and everything like that. All that being said, the question remains, you know, is the winner of this series going to win the NBA finals? I think the answer is no. I think that going into the series, the answer was probably yes. Right. But a lot can go on when you see both of the teams play, not only, you know, kind of throughout the series itself, but also in game when, you know, you have Boston at home and, and it's a 2-2 series and they're at home for game five and they just get blown out. I mean, Boston, I don't even know if they were leading a single second in that game. I remember watching it in the first quarter. I watched basically from like the middle of the first quarter throughout the entire rest of the game. And I think they were, yeah, they were already down by like 14 points in the first quarter. So they didn't lead any of that game, right? They're getting booed by their home fans. Um, you know, Tyrese Maxey's going off, Joel Embiid's going off and, and Boston can't stop a soul on defense. So, you look at that and you're like, is this really like what we thought is like, oh, well, statistically speaking, they're the best offensive efficiency rated and best defense efficiency rated team in the entire NBA. Well, that didn't show through, right? Not not only against the Hawks in their first series, but also against the Sixers now. So you, you kind of throughout the series, you've seen and obviously, you know, Embiid's dealing with his knee injury and we don't really know how serious that is. Obviously, he's still playing well, but it's kind of like how long is that going to last? Because he's been injured, you know, obviously a lot in his career so far. So as the series has gone on, you almost, or at least for me, I've lost faith in both of these teams to be able to kind of be that, I guess, you know, inherent champion of like, okay, whoever wins this series is, 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 is going is to win the finals. I do think whoever wins this series is going to the finals because, I mean, it looks like the Heat are going to beat the Knicks at this point. And as great as the run has been for the Heat, it's, it's kind of like there's only so much, there's only so, effort can really only get you so far. And so that Heat culture and Jimmy Butler and the mentality of just playing hard no matter what you kind of run into problems when you face up against guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown or on the other side, Joel Embiid and James Harden, right? Where it's just like absolute stars 
you know, megastars in the NBA, um, talent usually wins out in those scenarios. So I do think that whoever wins this series will go to the NBA Finals, but I think they're going to lose, right? And, and really, it's like whoever they face from the West will probably beat them. I, I, I could see the Nuggets, the Suns, the Warriors, and the Lakers all beating the Sixers and, and the Celtics at this point. So it's almost kind of like it's a good series to watch because it's been very entertaining. But in terms of like, you know, just getting a lot of hype and, and deservedly so for all the, you know, the stars and they've been, you know, showing out and, and doing what they're supposed to do. It really has, despite all that almost kind of made me less, I've just gotten, I've come away with less faith in, in both of these teams to be able to win a championship. Whereas on the, in the, on the, in the West, I've seen almost you know, the, the teams that are playing each other have such great moments that I can be like, okay, I, I'm confident that the Nuggets can win the championship right now, right? Whereas you look at the Timberwolves series and you're like, all right, well, the Timberwolves kind of suck and Carl Anthony Towns is, you know, you get me started. I talked for 10 minutes about that guy last episode, but, you know, these types of things where you're watching the series and you're like, these are great competitors going at it day in and day out, and, and you don't really see any of them fail. I could see any of these teams win a championship. Obviously, you know, the Warriors have won four and seven. They're probably they're probably the team I have the least confidence in, but they've basically, you know, turned themselves into a dynasty at this point. So anything is is possible. Uh, whereas, like I said, you know, the, the, the 76ers and Celtics, regardless of how good the series is, you almost just are – Every minute that goes by in that series, you're kind of like, I don't think these teams are really good enough to win the finals. I don't know. Hayden, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. And I think we saw a lot of that last year, especially with the Celtics when they played the Nets. Like, we we thought that the Celtics and Nets series was going to be really good. And then it just turned out to be a sweep by the Celtics. Now, the Celtics really looked really good until they got uh, – it was to the – No, they got to the finals last year. They oh, lost yeah. to the Warriors, remember? Right. But it was yeah, like right. – and and that was sort of the same thing. Is like they looked like the best team going yeah. in. You know, they, Hayden, like you said, they sweep the Nets. They they beat the Heat um, on their way there too. So it, it looks great going to the finals, and you're like, maybe this team can finally do it because they've been to however many Eastern Conference finals before. They get to the NBA finals, and then they let Steph, you know, crush their dreams. And it's like this is the same team coming back a year later, and somehow they look worse. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's kind of what we're seeing this uh, this year again, and I'm glad Matt made this a topic and, and, and made an effort to point that out. Because, yeah, you do have teams in the West, like the Nuggets and the Suns. I mean, the Nuggets are up 3-2 right now in the Suns. Uh, they play again tonight at 10, so we'll see what happens with that game. But, like, that's perfectly right. I was talking with my friends the other day about the Nuggets-Suns series, and they were like, well, actually, no. My friends asked me who I thought was going to win the finals, and I and right off the bat, I just said the Nuggets because I was like, they had like Jokic has been playing out of his mind. The other, I mean, his past couple games, he well, he put I think it was back to back games. He put up thirty seventeen and seventeen in one game, and then the next game he put up fifty points and ten rebounds. I think it's like, dude, this guy's. I mean, he's nuts. He probably he shouldn't have won the MVP for a third time in a row. I agree with that, but now in the playoffs, he's. I mean, he might be playing with a vengeance because he didn't win the MVP, but. He's just been absolutely dominant, and while the Suns do have guys like Devin Booker and and KD and Mikael Bridges now, it's like they they still don't really seem. I don't know if they can beat the Nuggets, and at this point, if the Nuggets do get get past the Suns, I think they're going to be so tough to beat, especially for a team that's coming out of the East that's going to be just absolutely battered. Because right, like we've said, the East is a really really good conference. I mean, they they're the like objectively they are the better conference in to, in terms of the total amount of good like really really good teams that they have the west has a couple of elite teams but the east is just really really good in general and so those are the teams that are going to come out of the eastern conference finals whoever it is like matt said it'll probably be either the celtics or the 76ers whichever team wins this series 
because it, it is safe to say that because they, they are both teams are good but whatever team comes out of the east is just going to be so tired i feel like already i mean it's it's not like they're going into more games than a team like the nuggets in the west who might go into a game seven and win or or even the suns if they ended up winning it's going to go to game seven for them if they do end up winning so like both both sides are going to be playing lots of games in their respective series now but I think coming out of the East is, is just a really, really tough it, – it's, it's really – it's been tough in the past, and it's going to be tough again this year just because the East the Eastern Conference just seems more, you know, I guess like – it seems like a tougher a tougher journey to the to the finals, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my take on it. Again, I, I think I know – I think I would – I would talk more about the Nuggets if I were to talk about it in an NBA topic, but um, I, we can probably talk about the Nuggets, I don't know, next episode – after the series is done and, and kind of go over what's um, what's been going on with them. But, yeah, we're going to move on to the next topic, which is about the other series in the West, which is the Warriors and Lakers series. The Warriors are currently down 3-2, and they'll most likely lose this series. I can't really see the Lakers losing two in a row. Uh, it was 3-1, actually, and then the Warriors won last night to make it 3-2. But I can't – so I can't see the Lakers losing three in a row, actually. Pardon my, uh, pardon my mistake earlier. But um, – yeah, essentially the, the big topic here is Draymond Green because a lot of people have been talking about him saying that – I mean, it's it's obvious that he doesn't score a lot of points, but a lot of people have been saying that he's more of a detriment to the team than anything else. But a lot of people also say that even in the past, you know, the, the Warriors have won four championships over the past, I don't know, like eight years-ish. And so, um, yeah, and so a lot of people are saying that while D- Draymond Green seems like a detriment to the team, he seems like he's just kind of a distraction – who gets a bunch of tech- technical fouls and gets ejected and comes back in games and still, you know, steps on people's chests. It's like, even though this guy doesn't score a lot of points and he does seem like he's just a distraction, he is, he has been an integral part of their team in the past. A lot of people say they haven't, they wouldn't have won those championships against the Cavaliers and the Heat and everything like that in the past, which I don't know if that's really true, but that's kind of what we're going to be debating today is like whether or not Draymond Green actually has that effect on the Warriors team. So we're each going we're each gonna to give our stance on this debate. Uh, I want to hear Matt's, Matt's stance first, and then I'll give mine because I'm interested to see what, what he thinks. But do we think that Draymond Green actually is that important to the Warriors team? Like, do we think that they could go ahead and win another championship without him? Or do we think that his averaging eight points a night actually is helping? I, I think it is, surprisingly enough, and, and Hayden might differ on his opinion, but that's kind of the, the nature of it is like, the fact that he's averaged – I mean, he hasn't averaged more than eight points for probably for most of his career. I mean, obviously, you know, like five, six years ago when they were in their kind of, you know, their real dynasty run or creating the dynasty, he, you know, he was out there and, and getting, you know, more than eight points a game. But still, it wasn't really like your Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, the Splash Brothers, all that stuff. But – Again, he's just he's just the definition of, you know, a heart guy and, and, and a glue guy. You know, one of those players that you need on your team to be able to keep everyone's heads in check, right? Keep the mindset going of, you know, we need to win these games, but also to, you know, kind of get under the skin of the other team or rattle the other team in, in a certain way, whether that be getting technical fouls in pretty much every single game, you know, punching guys in the nuts and, you know, whatever else that uh, Draymond Green decides to do, that – to some extent, you know, I think has led to a significant advantage for the Warriors in a lot of these games. Now, obviously, right, the talent goes 
without saying, especially when, you know, Kevin Durant was a part of this team. And just to, to even imagine that that was still a thing, like, I still look back on that and I'm like, that was five years ago and, like, Kevin Durant played with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson on the same team. Like, in all of their primes. Like, are you kidding me? So, obviously, that was kind of a foregone conclusion. I think they probably could have won those championships without Draymond Green. But the 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 intangibles that he offers to a team that again and that kind of goes back to what i was just saying before they're not in their primes anymore now i think you know steph is probably arguably you know still one of the best players in the league and and he's gotten a lot better i think even since then especially uh on on the defensive end but even just you know being in a playoff atmosphere being in a in a in a, in a road environment you know a guy like Draymond Green is is not going to get you 36 points and go you know 11 for 13 from 3 like that's not going to happen right Clay Thompson is the guy that's going to be doing that for you Draymond Green is 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 more there to be to be the glue guy, to be someone who can affect the game in ways outside of the, you know, actual action that's going on on the court. And and so, like I said, whether that be, you know, through, you know, through uh, helping his own teammates or on the other side kind of, um, you know, well, indirectly helping his teammates by affecting the other team as well. So the question becomes, you know, is he still a, a positive, you know, valuable player to a Warriors team that is now, you know, the sixth seed in the West and they're down three, two to the Lakers who are the seventh seed in the West who have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And they're going to LA in their next game. And, and that could be kind of the end of the Warriors season. Is Draymond Green still a valuable player to a team like this? That's where I start to kind of question it, right? That's I think where his antics have kind of stayed similar, but the team around him hasn't really stayed the same, you know, as he has. And I think that it's more – so I'll, I'll say that Draymond Green is not a detriment to the team right now. It's looking like it is, but I think that the bigger problem is the Warriors in general and the fact that they're basically paying Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole over $30 million a year, I think, each. Um, and, and they're not worth these contracts, right? These are guys who – these are role players who, who know their role and played a great role on a championship team or a team that won the championship last year but cannot be relied upon to be, you know – basically, you know, full-time starters in this league. I mean, Steve um, Steve Kerr has basically had to put in Moses Moody uh, and, and Gary Payton II as, as basically starters in this Lakers series. And it's like, you don't really want Moses Moody and Gary Payton II being starters on a team that's in the second round of the NBA playoffs trying to go to the Western Conference Finals. That's, that's probably not going to get you there, right? So I think that, you know, the kind of the core of the Warriors and, and, and you know, their draft picks in the past few years, James Wiseman, they've already traded away, right? Jonathan Kaminga plays minutes, and, and he's gotten better through, you know, he was, he was just a rookie last year and he had an okay season, but, like, not a guy that's going to be starting on an average NBA team. Uh, and so, you know, kind of the combination of having to pay their stars who've won them a lot of championships as well as not drafting as well as they did when they were drafting guys like Steph Curry and Draymond Green. All of that is kind of coming to a head now. And we're seeing that, that you know, the talent of Steph, a guy like Steph, and obviously when Clay's on, you know, he's great. That can get them to the second round of the NBA playoffs in the West, but not going to get them past a team like the Lakers, who as much as we want to hate it, you know, when Anthony Davis is playing his best, he's probably one of the best players in the league. And obviously LeBron is always going to be LeBron. So that's my stance on it. I think that, you know, Draymond Green hasn't really changed in, in terms of, 
I would say that he hasn't changed in, in the way that he does things. Um, obviously, he's gotten a little bit worse offensively, but that's because, you know, that's what happens to players as you age. I think that his mentality and the way that the, the, the way that he is the glue guy and the way that he provides value to this team is just it's not the right team to be providing that specific value to. And, of course, it goes without saying, and, and I just want to mention this right before Hayden goes, there was the also the incident in the summer, or I don't know when, the, I think it was, yeah, some like early fall, something like that, when they were in practice. It was before the season started when Draymond Green and Jordan Poole got into an argument, and Draymond Green literally just socked Jordan Poole in the face, like literally sucker punched him and like knocked him out almost. Uh, and that went viral, and obviously Draymond kind of came out, and he was like, that's, you know, I shouldn't have done that, and whatever. But it's like, does that really set your team up for success, you know, in, in defending a championship that they won last year? Obviously, they know that they can do it. So, yeah, sure, going into the season, you can do that. But I think that might have also been a catalyst here for kind of the Warriors not really living up to the expectation that we had, especially coming off another championship, like Hayden said, I think four in the last seven years uh, for, for the Warriors. So, so yeah, so maybe that was kind of the whole that just undid everything. But I think that. Draymond Green being the guy he is has helped them win these four championships in the first place. It's just the fact that like they don't have you know Kevin Durant anymore, and they, you know they don't have Andre Iguodala who won a Finals MVP you know six or seven years ago. So those types of guys that are going to be helped by Draymond Green's antics are not the guys who are playing on this version of the Warriors right now, and we're kind of seeing that in real time. Yeah, I, the way I like to look at it, and I might take a little bit of a different perspective here than Matt. I think I'm more favorable of Draymond Green on this Warriors team, and. I think that it can be backed up just based on the fact that they've won four championships with him on the team and they've been so dominant, even in years where they weren't expected to win the championship, like last year, where they came into the playoffs and everybody was overlooking them. Everybody was throwing them out the window and not even really giving them a chance until they got to the finals and they started playing the Celtics and all of a sudden, boom, they were they were NBA champions. So I think Draymond, what, what he does is almost like the short guy that you know in real life who... Draymond is on the shorter side, right? He plays the four and sometimes even the five. At this point, they, they kind of keep him away from the five just because big players have, be- have become so dominant, like the Jokic's and the Embiid's of the world. And, and you know, Anthony Davis at this point now is, is back and healthy and absolutely dominant for the Lakers, who they're playing in this series. So I think what what's happened in Draymond Green has, has kind of been uh, what, what typically happens to short guys in real life where – the short guys always have big personalities. They always, they're always the ones that are trying to, you know, kind of instigate things and, and, and show that they, that they're bigger than they actually are. And which, which is fine in basketball. I mean, in real life, those guys are kind of annoying, you could say, but like in basketball and especially in the NBA where Draymond, Draymond Green is only six, six compared to, you know, six foot 11, Anthony Davis, like you're going to need some firepower and from coming from your personality and, and kind of your presence on the court rather than putting up you know, 30 points a game, which you know you're not going to be able to do going up against a guy that's a, at least a couple inches taller than you every single game. Like, game in and game out, Draymond Green is just so much shorter than the guy he's going up against. It Like, it's it sounds pretty trivial, but I think that this is a pretty good argument to make. It's like, he has that presence, I think, because he's on, he's on the smaller side, but the Warriors play small ball because of that. I mean, I think that they've kind of built their team around a small ball li- lineup because Draymond Green has been such an integral piece to that team for years that they've kind of gone with it. They've, they've kind of like, you know, ridden with it and just said, okay, well let's just play small ball behind this guy that fires up all our team. And not only does that, but also kind of demoralizes the other team in a lot of ways. So I think that, yeah, I think that Draymond green, like his presence on the, on the warriors is great. 
Uh, the whole thing with Jordan Poole and, and, you know, just kind of his antics, getting technical fouls that he shouldn't be getting, you know, flagrants, everything like that. It, it's – it does kind of distract the team, but I think the Warriors are almost used to it at this point. Again, I mean, the, the whole Jordan Poole thing is kind of other, you know, outside of that because it is within the team itself. But I think that the, that the Warriors really embrace it. I think that they really love the way that Draymond Green puts fear into the other team and, and, the, and the way that he kind of, you know uh, – the way that he kind of just like instigates things with the other team and, and kind of gets in their head in a way. I think that the Warriors embrace that. They kind of feed off of that and they've learned to play in a way that, that kind of like follows a small ball dynamic where, right, if you don't have big guys down low th- that are able to just score at will, you kind of need to have the chip on your shoulder and play with an edge that makes you look bigger than you actually are. And so I think, you know, that's kind of been the story of this playoff so far, at, at least this series against um, against the Lakers is like, well, you know, they, they play small ball, and Lakers the Lakers don't really play small ball that much. Like, they have, you know, they have taller guys and, and bigger guys on the floor pretty much all the time. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to see how the Warriors are are, um, are sizing up to this. But, I mean, they've done that in the past. It's not like they've – it's not like this is anything new to them, playing small ball. So I think, uh, I think that, you know, them staying consistent with playing small ball lineups and – staying consistent with keeping Draymond out there and putting their trust in him to get assists and rebounds and everything like that, which he's been getting more of lately than, um, than points. I think it's, I think it's great. Um, you know, obviously it's been working for them in the past. If it's not broke, then don't fix it. Don't fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, um, that's kind of my philosophy, philosophy behind it. I don't really, I don't think that he's that much of a detriment. Um, I think that people kind of just like to say that just because he is a controversial player and he does instigate things and it's, it's fun to talk about it in that in that manner. You could make good arguments for him, for him being a detriment to the team, but I think overall, like when you look at the the grand scheme of things, and when you look at their past, like Matt said, he has been such a consistent part of this team, and they've I think they've really built this team not not as much around like not not as much around him as they have Curry and players like that, and kind of the Splash Brothers in general. But I think that they've really kind of built their their you know their download like their front court around Draymond Green and kind of they've kind of just like built the culture around him in a way um that that really suits them and has voted well for them in the past so uh yeah that's kind of my take on it again I think you know the, the whole the whole averaging eight points which actually I was looking at it in terms of seasons and I think this season he's averaging more points it's by like 0.5 but he's averaging more points this season than he has in the past like three so um, he's kind of on the uptrend there. He did. I, I did look at his like 2016 and 2017 stats and those seasons he was averaging. I think he had, he averaged 14 at one point and then the next season he averaged like 11. So, um, yeah, he ha- he has trended downwards, but over the past, like in, in comparison to the past couple years, he is kind of trending upwards. He just scored 20, uh, in, in last night's game, he had 20 and 10 double, double, which, you know, it's, it's not, is not too, too common for <laughs> Draymond Green, but, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll have to see how he how he fares these next couple games if there is next couple games, um, you know if they do take it to a game seven, that would be that would be interesting to see. But with that being said, uh, let's move right into the NHL, which for this segment, again we don't really know. This is kind of just a freelance segment. We don't have any like, comp- you know, written topics. One of my topics was kind of just going over how weird this playoff journey has been so far in the in the NHL I think it's been a lot well maybe not as weird as as the NBA now that I think about it with all the 
play in teams that are still in the you know still in the playoffs and all the lower seeds that um, that are still kind of reigning supreme. But I would say I mean the the first thing to talk about here and the the thing that I want to kind of mention and bring up is is the Panthers, right? So I think I, I don't know I don't think Matt mentioned this last episode. I unfortunately didn't get to listen to it. And again, if you didn't listen to the last episode, it was a solo episode by Matt. So kudos to him for that. But the Panthers, who are now up three to one on the Maple Leafs, they actually they, so they won six playoff games in a row, which is almost unheard of. First of all, the, the Panthers they were, they were a four seed in uh, the what is it the uh, Atlantic or Metropolitan one of those. Um, they were a four seed, and obviously they beat the Bruins, and they were down three one against the Bruins, right? So they won three games in a row, came back, won game seven against the Bruins in overtime. Moved on to a series against the Maple Leafs, which they won the first three games of. So they won six playoff games in a row against two of the best teams in the in, in, in the NHL. That's another thing that I'm going to get to. They they've essentially just solidified themselves as a team that can basically do it all. Right? We've seen them win six games in a row. We've seen them come back from a three-one deficit, which is unheard of. Either NHL, NBA, MLB. I mean, you name it. Any any sport that has a seven-game series for playoffs or finals or championship series or whatever a, a three being down in the 3-1 series is I mean is one of the hardest things to come back from and they were able to do it against the best team unanimously the best team in the NHL in the regular season the Boston Bruins and now they were able to go up 3-0 win three games in a row against the Maple Leafs uh two the first two games were in Toronto I'm pretty sure and they were able to make those uh they were able to beat the the Leafs in the first two games in Toronto um, and then they, they obviously won one in Florida uh, before they got beat last night in Florida. So it's three one right now for the Panthers. Um, I don't I don't know where it's going to go from here, but I think it's pretty safe to say, and this is kind of in relation to the Celtics and uh, Sixers topic that we were talking about. Like essentially, I, I don't know about the Leafs. Like if the, if the Leafs somehow come back and win four games in a row and beat the Panthers in Game Seven, like <laughs> I, at that point, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but. I think it's pretty safe to say that if the Panthers win this series, which I think they will do in six games or less, I don't see the, the Leafs winning more than you know one more game before getting beat. I think that the Panthers have a very good argument to go to the to go to the Stanley Cup Finals and give anybody in the West um, a run for their money. I want to hear Matt's opinions on this, or if he wants to talk about anything else in the NHL. Again, this is kind of just a little freelance segment. I did want to mention the Panthers though, and how how they've basically faced everything that they could face in a playoff series or in play in, in, a, in a playoff run so far. And it's only the second round. They're about to beat the, the Leafs and they could go on to, you know, to make a run for the Stanley cup finals or even a win there. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it really comes down to, because I mean, and, that, and as Hayden said, there's not, I mean, not every series is, you know, locked up at two, two. Some of them are more interesting than others, particularly in the West, but in the East, as Hayden mentioned, it's, it's pretty much, you know, the Panthers are, are almost going to win. Now, obviously they lost last night in their, you know, in their attempt to, to do a, a closeout sweep of the Maple Leafs. So maybe the Leafs can, can gain some money here, you know, maybe take a game five and, and we'll send it back to Florida and see, see what happens. But at the end of the day, only four teams in NHL history have come back from down 3-0. Uh, and the last time I think was in 2020. 12 or something it was over 10 years ago um so probably not going to happen especially because of how well the florida panthers have been playing so they're probably going to move on and then obviously in the other bracket or the other um matchup there in the east is the hurricanes and the devils who 
this was kind of an up and down series. Like, you know, nobody really knew who was going to win. It was, you know, both teams had had, you know, solid performances in their in their first uh, round playoff series, but didn't really come away with like, okay, you know, this team's for sure going to win. But the, the, the Hurricanes have just looked awesome. And I almost figured to, like, I heard somewhere, and I think I read an article that three of their six or three of their five something best scorers are still are they either were injured at one point and have come back or some combination of them come back or they're all still out uh and they're still you know putting up basically six games or six goals in two periods every game uh which is which is ridiculous so it's it's a really cool contrast of styles too because just watching I was watching this game for a little bit and the announcers were doing a good job kind of analyzing how well the the Canes skate which I think is it's obviously a, a a very trivial part of the game of hockey, but if you have a bunch of guys who are really fast against defensemen who can't really catch up to them, you're going to get caught off guard a lot. And I think that's what happens to, has happened to the Devils a lot in this series. So with the with the Canes being up three one, it, it really looks like you know this is going to be a, a Panthers versus Canes Eastern Conference Final, something that we didn't even really consider uh, would be happening at this point in uh, you know well looking back you know about a month ago now when when the season or when the playoffs first started and in that case that I think that's going to be a great series but I mean the way that the Canes have been looking I think they might be able to kind of make a run here which I think will be really interesting Uh, on the other side you have the Stars and the Kraken who I mean again as I said in the last podcast I think the Stars could be a, a kind of a dark horse to win the Stanley Cup obviously you know they're they're you know, their goaltending and defense kind of have to make sure that they're not going to give up seven goals a game like they have been to the Kraken in, in their in their two wins in the series so far. But uh, but could make a run nonetheless. And then um, the the Knights and the Oilers, obviously, they're tied up as well, 2-2 now as, as each team got one at home and one away so far. And I think that that was one where, you know, I was, at least on the podcast, I was kind of saying, like, I'm expecting the Oilers to win the series. They were favored to win the series. They were favored in both of their games in Vegas despite – you know, Vegas being a really good team and, and, uh, and obviously, you know, kind of, you know, being the home team, being the higher seed, right? The Vegas is the one seed or there's the two seed. Uh, so, so we'll see what happens with the, both of those years. I think they're very interesting, but at the same time, it's not going to be your huge market teams that are making it to, you know, far in the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? I mean, you have the Florida Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes, two teams that are, you know, technically in the South, right? And then you have the Dallas Stars, the Seattle Kraken, and then the Vegas Knights and, and the Edmonton Oilers. So none of these none of these markets, none of as you know, kind of in contrast to what I was talking about with the NBA, where you have, you know, Philly and Boston in this great second round matchup in a series. And even when you get to the finals and it's or even Eastern Conference Finals, Miami's in there, uh, the West is it's LA, you know, it's Phoenix, it's it's all these great cities, but in in, in hockey in the NHL it, it it kind of it really isn't any of that. Now it's also a testament to the fact that the NHL playoffs are the best in terms of it's truly anybody's game. You really never know who's going to win these series. And for me personally, I like seeing this more because I like the teams that, you know, I like the underdogs. I like the teams that are kind of, you know, from cities that aren't considered, you know, hockey destinations. Uh, I like seeing them win because it's just kind of as it, it really shows that anybody can win. And so I think it, it brings back the parody of the sport uh, to where, and I think that's a very, that's a, it's a big positive. Now, obviously from a TV TV ratings perspective, if the Bruins are running through the entire NHL and they're making their way to the finals, you better bet your bottom dollar that the, that the uh, TV ratings and, and the entertainment value and everybody's going to be talking a lot more about the sport just because the best team is still in it. And it's a huge market and their fans are crazy and whatever. Uh, but Hey, I mean, if we get a Canes versus, you know, Dallas, uh, NHL finals, I'm, I'm going to watch every game of that series. I'm going to love it. Uh, so, but I don't know. I mean, it, it, obviously I think that's kind of why too, we weren't really able to come up with a topic, at least for the NHL, because it's not, 
not only is it the series aren't, you know, nothing crazy has happened yet. I mean, obviously, you know, we have a couple games left in all these series, but also it's because the teams are, are, are kind of, I mean, you know, nobody really thought the Kraken would even make the playoffs, and here they are in the second round of the playoffs, right? Um, a lot of these teams that you, you didn't expect to be here or have kind of faded throughout. The, I also saw a thing on the Panthers, Hayden, to, to kind of go off of your point. I think when not, I think you said it on one episode of the podcast, and I heard it on another thing where, like, the Panthers had to go, like, they had to win, like, nine out of their last 12 games yeah. to even get in the playoffs, and they weren't even supposed to go to win the playoffs, to get into the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Penguins, I think, played, like, the Blue Jackets – the Ducks and and the Black like three the, the actual three worst teams in the NHL in their last three games of the regular season the Penguins needed to win one of those games they lost all of them and the Panthers basically snuck in because of that yeah. and now here they are basically on their way to the Eastern Conference Finals so that just goes to show another thing where it's like I mean hey even the teams that didn't make the playoffs someone could have made a run and we really never know what happened I think that's the beauty of hockey especially when it comes to the playoffs yeah I was I was gonna mention that and I couldn't really remember if it was the if it was the Panthers or the Jets that I was talking about but I'm pretty sure I mentioned both of them I know I talked about the Jets. Because I was really high on them actually being the Knights to go to the second round, which they ended up not doing. But, yeah, it was the Panthers, too, that that had, to, you know, this crazy situation happen where they weren't, like Matt said, for you know, entering the last 12 games of the, of the season, like, they were just, they weren't even supposed to make the playoffs. And it, was, it wasn't even really that close. And, like Matt said, you know, the, the, the Penguins, who we've kind of been fans of our whole lives, I've, I've kind of switched over to the Capitals because my roommates in college are Capitals fans, so... And it's kind of weird because the Capitals and Penguins are, are rivals, so it's kind of weird to switch from the Capitals to the—I mean, fr- switch from the Penguins to the Capitals. But that's besides the point, right? Florida wasn't even really supposed to be in the playoffs, and they—they they beat the—I mean, they—they they beat the team that had the most regular season wins in the history of the NHL, uh, and they beat them. Per, I mean, not you know, not handily. I mean, they—they they were down three-one to start the series against the Bruins, but they ended up, you know, coming back in, in three games and beating them. So that's kind of why that's, that's kind of my point where it's like these, I mean, the Panthers have, they've had their backs up against the wall for so long until now where they went up three zip on the, the Leafs and the Leafs won last night, making it three one. But like, seriously, I mean, they've had their backs up against the wall since the last, like fourth of the regular season. And even in the, even in the Bruins series, they had their backs up against the wall again and they were still able to come back. And it's like, dude, they've they've basically done the impossible. Like, you could argue that what they've done since the, you know, the, the back fourth of the season, that's been almost even more impressive than what the, the than, than what the Bruins did all regular season. And how with how disappointing the Bruins were in that first series and, and you know, dropping three games in a row and losing game seven to lose the whole series to a team like the Florida Panthers who weren't even supposed to get into the playoffs in the first place. You could argue that, you know, this – this run that the Panthers have been making recently, and right, I'm not even talking about playoffs. I'm talking about that back fourth of the regular season. You could argue that this is even more impressive than what the Bruins did all all regular season. So, I think that mo- a lot of you know, I haven't really been listening to many to much NHL talk. I've been reading up on it a lot, but you like, I think people aren't talking as much about the pl- the Panthers as they should be. Like they're kind of just looking at it like, oh yeah, the Panthers. This is pretty surprising, but. All right, let's go look at the Oilers because they had Connor McDavid playing. It's like, dude, you need to look at the Panthers and say and see how balanced their team is and, and how good they are, um, you know, just from an, an objective standpoint. So that kind of wraps up the NHL talk. Again, it wasn't too big of a se- segment, but I think if we kept on babbling about it, it, it probably wouldn't mean much. So um, we're going to move into F1 now. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this past weekend was the Miami race, which uh, it, it was a pretty star-studded event, to, to say the least. I mean, you saw all over social media, 
there were so many just you know celebrities like people that you wouldn't even really expect to be at a Formula One race. They were there. I think it's I think a lot of it is because like you you see some celebrities that have courtside seats at like the NBA Finals and everything, even playoff series in the NBA. But like you don't see that many of them at one event. And I think that this one really is because like F1 has become almost like a luxury of, I mean, it, it always has been, and there's so much money that goes into F1 and we've talked about it before, but like at this race, there were, there just seemed to be so many celebrities and it seemed like a lot of celebrities just wanted to be there just to show that they were there at the F1 race. And I think it happened last year too. Um, but it was, it was much of the same race as it was last year. You know, you had all these celebrities there. Uh, in terms of the actual race, there wasn't much overtaking. Red Bull went one and two. There just wasn't much excitement, which is, it's kind of expected from us, like, actual F1 fans who have been watching F1. But, you know, those Drive to Survive fans that, that have come in recently, mostly American fans that have come in recently, who wanted to see a good race at Miami were, were probably – more surprised by this and kind of, you know, kind of almost let down by this, uh, by, by this race being super boring and not really, um, you know, not, not much happening, but, uh, but we have, we have some reasons to go over of why this is happening. I actually read an article, um, that I'll talk about in a little bit, but I'm going to talk, I'm going to let Matt talk first here and just kind of give his opinions on why the race is, why Miami in particular has just been such a boring race for the past couple of years, ever since it's become part of the circuit. Um, and then kind of, you know, what, what we gather from this, how maybe they can make it better. Matt, what you got? It's the fact that it's not your typical American sport. And we've been talking about American sports the entire podcast, the entire history of this podcast, the entire history of most podcasts out there. The draw for American sports is the fact that you have two teams match up together and the better team wins. And then at the end of the season, you have a system by which you determine what team is the best and they are the champions now in many sports it ends up being a different team each year and that's because of a lot of rules there's salary cap things there's you know there's a collective bargaining agreement there's different owners of the teams who some of them want to win more than others there's 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 so much that's different uh from obviously a sport like racing but also from you know just for for entertainment value purposes that's what we're used to all right and we discussed it, right? I mean, the Super Bowl is, is or football in general, you know, hockey, baseball, uh, you know, basketball, they all have playoffs. They all have, you know, an eventual champion that's decided. And, and like I said, it's usually not the same team every year. In Formula One, it's a lot different. But in European soccer, it's also a lot different, right? And so I think it's, it's one of those, it's a paradigm shift type of deal where in America, we're used to drama, uh, you know, Watching great players make great plays, lead their teams to victory, win championships. It's all about, you know, who can win. And, you know, the upset, the underdog, the Cinderella story is all part of, you know, the stuff that we love to see when it comes to sports in general, but specifically, you know, professional sports in America. It's not the same on, you know, across the pond here in Europe where, you know, a draw in a soccer game is a very pleasant result right for both sides it's 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 an entertaining game while you're watching the game and you have a draw and that's it right and i think that's it's 
it's it's a very it, we don't do that here, right? We don't have ties. I mean, unless you're in the NFL and you play five, you play four quarters and you play ten minutes of overtime, both teams suck enough to not even score, and then you you actually have a tie. Okay, cool. But everybody hates ties, right? A lot of people, whenever there is a tie in the NFL, people are like, they need to do away with ties in, in you know in general. Move it to the college football rule where you just get you know unlimited chances from from the you know from the three yard line until someone actually is able to convert here, but. It's a different mindset. It's a different way to play the sport. And it's very similar because, I mean, you know, racing and specifically Formula One is was started in Europe and, and is a lot more popular in Europe than it is in America. And that mindset of, you know, a draw is okay. A tie is okay. Uh, you know, in general, a lot of American sports fans don't like soccer because there's not much scoring and people say I want to see scoring right I don't I don't care how entertaining it is you know just watching people pass a ball around for 90 minutes I want to see goals and then a lot of times soccer matches end 0-0 nil-nil I should say uh and and when that's the case and you're an American basketball fan where you're seeing 240 points put up on, on a playoff night then, then you're not going to think that that's very entertaining because not only is there not a lot of scoring, but it's also ending in a draw where neither team wins. And it's like, well, you know, wh- what's the point, right? Uh, Formula One, being that it's a European, you know, has European origins and, and everything along those lines is is very similar. Now, it's not I'm not I'm not saying that Formula One and, and racing in general, I'm not saying that racing sports are the same as soccer. I'm just saying the mentality around what the sport provides when it comes to drama, when it comes to winning championships is a lot different than we think of it here in America. So, you know, by example, and, and realistically, for the last you know 20 years, Formula One has had three major dynasties essentially uh three teams that have won the driver's championship and the constructor's championship for the vast majority of like i said the last 20 years right so ferrari from basically 1998 until like you know mid 2006 2007 they were the dominant team won all the driver's championships all the constructor's championships then it goes to red bull from 2008 to 2012 ish they win all the driver's championships. They win all the constructor's championships. Then it's Mercedes from 2013 to uh, 2020. Um, they win all the driver's championships and all the constructor's championships. And now it's Red Bull again, uh, you know, from basically from 2021 and, until now. The main problem, though, and in, in terms of, you know, kind of where this has gone wrong in America and where you're kind of like you're hoping that something happens to kind of keep the fans in America, you know, kind of locked on to Formula One. The main problem is, is was also the, the the biggest advocate for the sort of the biggest catalyst for the sport becoming so big in America. And it's the fact that Drive to Survive has completely changed the 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 you know the fanatic level of you know or just in general people watching and caring about Formula One in America. Drive to Survive is the reality TV show, right? The drama that we want and and, and it and it allows anybody of all ages and, and all genders to be able to watch and participate in something that is drama filled, uh, is a very intense sport and you know one of the probably uh, one of the most famous leagues in the entire you know if you call it a sports league whatever it's the most premier racing uh, sport in the entire world so. All that being said, you know, you add a reality reality TV show on top of that. It doesn't matter what the actual results of the drivers championship and constructors championships are, as long as you get a bunch of drama and you get, you know, the the team principal for Haas, you know, yelling at his yelling at his guy Mick Schumacher to stop crashing into the wall on every Thursday practice. Right? There's there's a lot that goes into a show that can bring you a lot of drama, and 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 obviously, you know, it's made by Netflix, and they know what American fans want to see when it comes to a TV show that'll that'll kind of keep them locked in. 
But that you don't see that level of the drama and the you know the intense pressure of winning the races and you know just the grind of the F one season. You don't see that when you wake up on a Saturday morning for a sprint race qualifying that nobody really knows how the rules work, right? So there's a big difference between what you're seeing on Netflix versus what you see on a race weekend. And not to mention, they're all over the world. And so if your race is in Australia, you know, the race is basically starting at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning here, which if you're staying up for that or waking up for that, either one, most people aren't. <laughs> all right. So that's kind of the, the at the end of the day, kind of what the, the general point here is the fact that Drive to Survive became popular before F1 did. So a lot of people got into F1 via Drive to Survive and then realized that it's not at very it's not a very entertaining sport just watching it from the surface, right? Because the same teams win, the same drivers win. Now, if you're a true F1 fan and you've been watching it forever, like me and Hayden have, you know, our entire lives, we realize the fact that it's not about the the internal drama and, and the pressure of, you know, keeping your seat in a racing car and, you know, the teammates are, are teammates, but they actually kind of hate each other. Like all of that is captured by the Netflix series, but like, that's not if you're a fan of the sport, you're a fan of watching teams, you're a fan of, you know, seeing what teams are going from sixth to fourth in a given year because that's a really big jump, right? A team like Aston Martin this year, who last year was, I think, sixth in the constructor standings, they're now third, uh, basically by a landslide, right? So, well, not third by a landslide, but third right now, and, and, you know, are most likely going to, you know, be able to contend with or and probably beat Mercedes and Ferrari out for the third place in the constructors' championship. Like, that's a big deal. Right for an F one fan who cares about the sport and who watches it, you know, week in and week out. But for your cat, your, your your casual, you know, drive to survive fan, they could care less about Aston Martin, you know, doing so well in comparison to last year. They care about Fernando Alonso, you know, yelling at his teammate Lance Stroll and and how much you know they're gonna get into it on a daily basis. But we don't see that from the TV perspective of just watching the races every weekend. So in terms of an American fan who got into the sport because of a reality TV show, it's not going to hold water when you realize that a lot of the sport is cars just following in a line behind each other and the same, you know, the same teams and the same drivers winning a lot of the races. And particularly with now three races in America, that being Austin, Texas, which has been here, I think, since 2015. Miami had its first race last year and then uh, second race this year. And then Las Vegas is also on the calendar later in the year, I think in November or something. Miami and Las Vegas are both street circuits, right? And so what's the one thing we know about street circuits? Well, if you don't know, it's the fact that like Monaco and these other street circuits, it's impossible, well, not impossible, but very difficult to overtake right and, and pass other drivers on these spots because the cars are big enough as they are and the street circuits don't allow for a lot of room for the drivers to be able to pass each other like it is on a you know a nascar rink where you're just going around and around in circles uh formula one isn't like that and therefore because you're on a street circuit you're only really given the street level view of how much these cars are going to be able to overtake each other uh, or not and so as a result when your street circuits come around like miami like a vegas because i think i think las vegas is going to be it, it's it's on the part of it's on the las vegas strip so it, it at least part of it's going to be uh, street circuit kind of oriented. There's not a lot of passing, which is really the only kind of, you know, super entertaining outside of crashes, which, you know, even then there weren't, there weren't any crashes at Miami this weekend. Uh, there wasn't a whole ton of drama around that. There wasn't really a lot of passing, which is kind of the only thing that even if you're, you know, actually watching the races is, is can kind of get you excited about it. And there's not really going to be much of that. Right. But it's, 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 
the details about that, about the, you know, the pit stop strategy and whether or not, you know, Sergio Perez is going to be able to undertake Max Verstappen in his chase to be able to win, you know, three out of the five races this year when Max has won two out of the five, right? Like all of that is, is where an F1 fan, you know, a, a, a person who watches this week in and week out is going to really like the sport, but a person who's casually watching Drive to Survive and then is like, oh my God, Miami, like it's 3.30 in the afternoon on a Sunday, I can watch this race nothing really happened and so you're kind of thinking like I, this is this kind of sucks right but again it's it's a different mindset it's a different type of sport than we're used to in america it's racing so at the end of the day it's cars following each other around a track right but but to 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 think that you're gonna get you know the the drama and the intense pressure and everything that you see in a in a tv series like drive to survive you're not gonna be able to see that on track now the one last thing i'll say is the fact that the, the year after drive to survive came out was the 2021 season in which that was kind of the changing of the guard right so mercedes had won seven championships in a row lewis had lewis hamilton had won seven out of the eight uh championships in that kind of span uh for mercedes and that was the first year that red bull kind of finally took over and so in the la it literally throughout the entire season as Lewis Hamilton fight, um, fighting Max Max Verstappen for the championship, the drivers' championship, uh, and it comes down to the last race, and it ends up being you know kind of this big controversy, and they're like you know Max Verstappen ends up passing Lewis Hamilton, but he like bumped him, and it's like all this drama that's built up into this one moment, and Max Verstappen ends up winning the race and winning the drivers' championship, and that's probably the most dramatic end to a season that we've seen in, in probably over twenty years, right? So that was kind of the the like the the unadded or the added benefit or added non-benefit of of having the drive survive season come out right on on tv and getting everybody into it during covid and now you're like okay this is the first season that i can actually watch full through to be able to come up become a fan of the sport and what ends up happening is the most dramatic finish we've seen in so long like all of that combined with each other means that you're really not gonna like that is so much drama to the point where like there's the the sport has only seen so much drama in its in its entire history and a lot of it was around those couple years and so if you are a person who was into drive to survive then saw the insane championship ending that happened in 2021 you're now looking at it like what what is this and and that's kind of the reality of the situation is like if you like the sport for liking the sport there's a lot to be interested in like i was talking about you know pit drop strategies and tire strategies and who's going to use what tires when and and you know how you're going to be able to use your teammate to you know you want to beat your teammate but how are they going to help you in the long run by holding up some guy who's behind you like there's a lot that goes on in the actual race that is interesting to what positions the drivers will finish in how the teams will fare in terms of you know, going from seventh place to third place, like there's a lot in there, but you have to be a fan of the actual sport to be able to recognize that those are big things that are going on. If you're just someone who likes the Netflix series and wants to watch an entertaining race in Miami where there's a bunch of crashes and, and you know, Yuki Sonoda is going to take for a place that's not going to happen. Right. So that's kind of the, the, the general backstory on it, at least. Yeah, I'm going to attack this from a kind of a more. Uh, practical, well, not practical, because that, that was a really good argument by Matt. I mean, I think he just talked for 13 or 14 minutes on end there, which is which is pretty impressive. I mean, he has been doing that because he's been doing solo episodes for uh, for the recent the recent episodes. Well, most of the recent episodes, but yeah, I mean, so that's all very true, and I I, I totally get that from a perspective of new fans really just being a fan of it from a reality TV perspective. Because I didn't even really think about that, but. That is very true. Um, and then when you have a race in Miami that's in the U.S., everybody's hyped for it. And then you get this where, yeah, it's like street circuits aren't really that exciting to watch. Monaco Monaco is really the only the only street circuit that's that's fun to watch just because it's such an iconic track for those that have been watching 
uh, forming one for a long time. But again, like not much happens during the Monaco race. There's usually a crash or two just because I think Monaco's. I mean, M- Monaco's even narrower than than Miami is, and the, you know the other street circuits. I think um, I think uh, Australia is one, and I think Japan is another one that's a street circuit. And then, like Matt said, Las Vegas will be too, at least partly. So like, yeah, these street circuits just aren't fun to watch in general. But there's another thing. There's another added element that that I'm going to go over real quick, which is uh, this this is a newer track, right? So they they lay down the asphalt. And once they, when they lay down the asphalt, it's, it's like getting a new, like, basketball, essentially, right? When you lay down new asphalt, there, there's, like, this certain oil surface that they have to put over the asphalt um, to essentially, I, I, I don't know, to make it, like, race-ready um, and also to smooth it out, I think. But that oil essentially makes it really slippery to the car. And so, like, you know, Formula 1 tires in the first place, they're, they're more meant for speed. They're not as much meant for grip in the first place. And then once you add oil, this oil covering to a new track like Miami uh, or a newer track like Miami that hasn't been raced on a lot, that like that that newness to it essentially just makes it a slippery track. And so what a, what was happening to a lot of cars, especially in qualifying when they, you know, the drivers weren't as used to it. The drivers in general aren't used to this track because they've, they've only been racing on, on it for a couple of years now, as opposed to a track, you know, like Monaco or, you know, um, you know, one of the older tracks like like Australia where they've been or Canada where they've been racing on these tracks for years and years on end and they know these tracks really well. They, they don't know Miami's track really well. So once they start racing on it, you know, they if they if you break just a second later than you're supposed to, you're going to you're going to either lock up your brakes or you're going to sl- slide off the track essentially. And that's what was happening to uh, I think it was Alex Albon and and Charles Leclerc. I know Charles Leclerc had a pretty bad spin out at the end of qualifying um on saturday which was interesting to see because it was like these guys seem like they're slipping off the track and sliding around more than usual and it was true because uh because of this kind of newer track and newer asphalt that they've been dealing with with this with this miami track also this and this was just something that i saw in an article this was a decision that was made by the track keepers or like the groundskeepers for the the miami track essentially what they do to kind of combat that oil finish that they put on the asphalt when they first lay it down, um, that so what they usually do for that kind of problem is they water down the track beforehand. So like before, uh, I think I think it's before every race. So like even you know before practice, before qualifying, and before the actual race itself, they have these big hoses that they use to kind of just spray off the track. Um, because the water washes away a lot of that oil finish that they have on the asphalt. They didn't do that for for the Miami circuit this year. For some, whatever reason, I don't know. The article didn't say why. But all they said was the groundskeepers essentially decided not to water away the oil. And so it, that oil finish was left on there. And you were left with a bunch of guys sliding around on the track like like they weren't supposed to. It was It was weird. Like Matt said, there was no big crashes during the race. I, honestly, I think that, that there was more action in terms of you know guys spinning out and losing control and not not necessarily crashing into each other, but there was a lot more uh, excitement in terms of like cars you know spinning out and, and slipping and everything like that during qualifying. But then during the race, it wasn't you know guys are more cautious during the race because in qualifying they're trying to get the best lap right, and so they're um, or I guess it was a sprint race for this one uh, for, for Miami. I think it was, but. 
either way, like you've got in qualifying, you're trying to race even harder because it's a for the sprint race, it's a less a lesser amount of laps, a significantly lesser amount of laps than the actual race. In regular qualifying, you're just trying to get the fastest laps, so you're just you're going as hard as you can. So, um, yeah. So in qualifying, you saw a lot of that like slipping around and everything, which kind of I guess messed up the order in in, in a way. But we still saw Red Bull come out one and two, which isn't really surprising. But I, don't, I think we should save that for another day to, to talk about Red Bull in general. Um, we talked about Red Bull, and we talked a lot about Mercedes last year too, kind of towards the end of the the Formula One season last year. Uh, but this season, we're kind of just seeing more of the same, more of the same old thing. Red Bull just dominating. Uh, Max Verstappen's gotten into he got into a little bit of an argument with George Russell this past weekend. I think it was uh, during the sprint race, or maybe it was the weekend before. I don't know. It was it was one of those. But uh, yeah, we we've definitely had some drama throughout this this F one season. And I would imagine that we'll have more as the season, you know, progresses. But uh, yeah, this—it's pretty safe to say that this race was pretty boring, um, and it was—it just wasn't—it didn't feel right. And I think it was a combination of Matt's argument, and then also, like I said, the, just the the newer track as it ages, as it has more cars race on it, as it you know throughout the years when like the track just becomes more worn down. That's when it becomes grippier and the guys will actually be able to race better on it. But I think they were just kind of racing cautious just because they knew the, the the track is slippery. There's not much room that I can pass with. So, you know, why, why risk a lot when I can kind of just stay in the position that I started in and, um, you know, make sure that I don't crash out or something like that. So that's, uh, that's going to wrap up the F1 topic for today. Uh, we are going to move into a quick rundown. Of, I think right now we're around an hour-ish. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to do a quick uh, rundown segment. Again, this is a kind of a newer segment to us. So, um, it'll be yeah, it'll be newer to us, just as new to us as it is to you guys. So, um, let's move into that segment. So, for this segment, obviously, we're just going to have a few topics that we go over. It's going to be almost like a speed run, how I'm envisioning it right now. I'll present a topic and I'll just kind of ask Matt what he thinks. He'll give a quick answer. I'll give a quick an- quick answer and then we'll move into the next and we'll kind of just alternate um, doing that. It's, it's almost going to be like a You're Wrong Man segment, which we haven't done in a long time, which we should get back to doing soon um, if you know what You're Wrong Man is. But yeah, so for this one, the first so, – so for this first uh, rundown segment – or yeah, this first topic for the rundown segment is Nikola Jokic and his uh, his kind of encounter, I guess you could say – with the Suns owner uh, Matt Matt Ishbia, and that's this was in Game uh, Four, I believe it was. So this was two games ago, and then they actually ended up hugging it out uh, at before last game. So this is kind of resolved. But who was in the wrong here, Matt? Was it was it Nikola Jokic or Matt Ishbia? It it was. I don't know. I mean, I think Ishbia was probably the the uh, the he instigated it. Right, more than more than Jokic did, um, but I'm glad that it was resolved, and I'm glad that both people were able to kind of be cool about it, and they hugged it out and everything, uh, because the conversation that was going on on the internet was just—I mean, again, it was just—it was—it ranges from everything. It's you know, oh my God, Jokic elbowed him in the face, and he fell down, and how could you do that? You know, to to the owner of the team, and and all that's too. Then people being on Jokic's side being like, well, the owner should never be courtside. Why is he even sitting there? And, you know, and, and Jokic was just trying – he didn't even see him there. He was just trying to get the ball to the ref. Like, just people, you know, going on and on about this. And so I'm glad that that was all that was all figured out and there wasn't any penalty. People were saying Jokic should be suspended and fined. And that's just like 
it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Um, it, it, the the funniest thing though was that the 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 Nuggets coach was asked basically. Um, I think it was. I think they they asked him about the interaction. He didn't know that it was the son's owner, uh, and and basically they were like, yeah, he had an interaction of, with a fan. Um, and Mike Malone was like, he's the coach of the Nuggets. He was basically like, yeah, you know that happens. And they were like, well, it was actually the owner of the Suns. And he was like, I don't care. <laughs> like he he had the perfect answer to be just be like, yeah, it's just I mean it's just another person, right? Um, and again, if you're the owner of the team. To a certain extent, you know, should you be in your owner's box because that's what the point is? Then, yeah. But at the end of the day, if you own the team and you purchased the team last year for like two and a half billion dollars, you should be able to do whatever you want, right? So because it's you know that's your arena, that's your team, that's your everything. So um, I understand, I guess, both sides of the argument in terms of you know what happened and why it happened. But I, I don't, I'm not here for it when it's like people are calling for Jokic to be suspended and stuff. I think that's just ridiculous. Yeah, and actually, Matt Ishbia. Um, he basically like petitioned Jokic being suspended because he he kind of saw it afterwards as it, it's just a an altercation that happened on the court, obviously not between two players, but you know when you, when you're when you're a player in a in a playoff game in an NBA playoff game and you're as good as Nikola Jokic and you're as important as he is to his team, the most important player on his team, like your your emotions are definitely flaring on on the court, so. Uh, so yeah, that's I, that's kind of Matt kind of covered my my um, perspective on it. I don't think it was really either one's fault. It was probably Matt Espia's fault more, just because right he's not a player and he's not out there. So why should he try to be keeping the ball from Jokic? It's like yeah, I don't know. It, it was kind of cheesy, but and also if Nikola Jokic elbows you in the face, it's basically like a truck hitting you. Yeah, <laughs> because he's seven feet tall and like two hundred eighty pounds. So a, a soft elbow from him is is more so like you getting tackled by an NFL player. Yeah, so I guess from that perspective, it is like Matt Ishbia kind of had a had a, had a reason to get a little bit mad there. But um, luckily, both guys, you know, are kind of they're they're in the clear now and they're they're cool because, like I said, Nikola Jokic gave an Gave him a little, uh, gave him a little bro hug before Game Five. So, moving on to the next one, we've got uh, we've got a little set, or topic on Bronny. He obviously committed to USC this past week. If you didn't see, USC is a pretty interesting decision. It's out in California, so it kind of it it wasn't surprising, but like I said, it was interesting because it's not one of you know it's not one of the blue bloods. It's it's a Pac-12 school. Pac-12, as we know, is is definitely on the rise in college basketball. And they've been pretty consistently good over the past uh, few years. And so USC is one of those teams that we saw in the tournament a couple years ago. I think as like a four seed um, this past year. I don't, I don't even know if yeah they, they made it as a they were a ten seed. Okay, yeah, right. But they're right ten seed this past year. So we'll see how they do uh, when Bronny goes there. But Matt wrote this segment and 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 he thinks that Bronny won't even play his first year. He, he think now a lot of people are saying like Bronny wants to you know obviously we've seen LeBron come out and say that he wants to play with Bronny on the same team in the NBA at some point whenever Bronny comes out of college. But, like, <laughs> Bronny probably won't be a one-and-done, and Matt has an argument for it. So go ahead, Matt. Well, that's basically it. It's just the fact that he's getting so much hype and, you know, he was in the top 100 and, and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I mean, as good as LeBron is and as much as we want to see LeBron be able to play with Bronny, his son – if, if he's not good enough to play on an NBA team, it's probably not going to happen. Or at least, you know, the team that gets Bronny will get LeBron at the same time. But it's like, is that really – are those things that you want? Because if, if, if Bronny's not that good and not really able to play on an NBA team and actually play in an NBA game, and then LeBron, as we see him now, is still, you know, 
one of the best players in the league, but is, you know, he's load managing throughout the playoffs. He's not playing as many minutes as he used to because, you know, his body's just kind of, you know, not at its peak like it was a few years ago. USC is probably is going to be one of the better teams in college basketball i think this upcoming year they also landed the number one overall recruit uh his name is isaiah collier so they're going to be playing kind of side to side i think they got they got a really good transfer from i think wyoming and i'm forgetting his name wyoming or colorado one of those two um to where like that guy's going to be a starter now boogie ellis i think is his name i think he played in wyoming um and and then i think they got it they have players on their team currently who were going to be, you know, who didn't get drafted or transfer or whatever. They're going to be starting on the team. LeBron or Bronny will definitely play. Will definitely play. Uh, it's just a matter of how good he is when he plays, and I don't think it's going to be that good, right? Because I think at the end of the day, like, the goal of, the, of a college team, more so than maybe an NBA team, but definitely more so than an AAU team, is is to win the best is is to win the championship, right? Is to win March Madness. And if if Bronny is a liability to this team. They're not going to play him just to play him. Now, it makes sense that he went to USC, right? His, his dad, LeBron, plays for the Lakers in L.A. So that all makes sense as to why he went to USC. But even on a team like USC, which is kind of out of the blue, as Hayden was mentioning, is, is he even going to be good enough to play you know, significant minutes on a team like USC, who was a 10 seed in last year's March Madness tournament? That's where it's kind of – got to take this into context and be like, USC is going to be better than they were last year, right? But last year they were a 10 seed. They lost in the first round of Michigan State they didn't really have that very very much of a successful season. On top of the fact that going into next year, Arizona's returning a bunch of their players. Uh, UCLA lost a couple of their players, but they're, they're always going to be good in the Pac-12. So it's like, is USC even going to be in contention to win the Pac-12? Are they going to get you know a seven seed in, or an eight seed in, the, in, in March Madness next year and not really do much? It obviously depends on how good LeBron is during the season, but I just, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of down on the hype for how good he's going to be and especially whether or not he's going to be a one-and-done player. I don't think – and if he's not, like, it's not going to happen because NBA teams are not trying to throw away and mortgage their future for, uh, you know, a, a, a player like Bronny who's not good enough to start on an NBA team and then a, you know, a, a decreasing, uh, you know, talent level LeBron James. So, in my opinion, I, I don't really – I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think this is as big of a deal as it should be, and I don't think that. Le, I don't think Bronny's going to be a one and done. I don't think he's going to average more than probably ten points a game uh, at USC next year, and I don't think that USC is going to really do much in the season next year either. So I think it's all going to be kind of. We're going to be sitting here this time next year, being like, "Wow, you know, what a disappointment." But I'm. It's almost more. I'm, I'm almost kind of more sympathetic towards Bronny to where I don't think we should be putting this much expectation on a kid who really isn't as good as I think everybody's expecting him to be. Alrighty, uh, moving on to the next topic, which is the little N- or NHL topic here. The Blackhawks they won the NHL the NHL draft lottery, or uh, in better terms, they they won the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. And if you don't know who Connor Bedard is, he's uh, he's gonna be drafted number one overall to the to the Blackhawks this upcoming season or this upcoming draft. And also, uh, he's basic like he I mean he's the best prospect since Connor McDavid. He might even be better a better prospect overall than Connor McDavid was when he got drafted. But uh, if you don't, if you don't know who this Bedard guy is, and I actually, my, one of my roommates told me about him before I even like read about him, but um, I read his stats last night from one of the, I, I think it's his, like his past, this past season with, uh, he's in some like Canadian amateur league. I think he's also, he might be 18 at this point, but like when, most of the season, I think he was 17, and so, I mean, this, this kid is he's, – he's young, and he's really, really good. So, this past season, he played 57 games with his um, Canadian amateur team. 
57 games played. Again, I mean, it's that's not even that's like what two thirds of an NHL. Well, no, it's 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 closer to. I don't know. It's it's closer to like a full NHL season, but it still isn't. It's probably the average number of games played by by your your usual NHL star in a, in a season, assuming that they miss some games because of injury or what or whatnot. Fifty seven games played. He had one hundred forty three total points. Which, if you don't know in NHL in hockey terms, a point is either a goal or an assist on a goal, meaning you created you in some way created that point. Either you scored the you you scored that goal. Or you contributed to that goal by assisting and, and passing it to the guy who scored that goal. So he had 143 total points, 71 of which were goals, which is, I mean, a lot of guys have more assists than goals. It's usually like, I would say for most, the average NHL player, you you have, I would, I don't know, you would say, I would say like half of your assist count is goal count. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a one to two goal to assist ratio for most and it for the average NHL player he had 71 goals and that means that he had 72 assists so 71 goals in 57 games played first of all it's just insane um I mean that's averaging like 1.2 or 1.3 goals per game I, I I believe and then 72 assists per game that adds to a total that's go it's just below three points per game and three three points in a game for any any NHL player is just insane. His plus minus on the season, which if you don't know plus minus, that's also a, a metric in the NBA. His plus minus on the season was thirty nine across the whole season. Um, anything higher than a twenty plus minus for one player across an NHL season is considered to be like elite. And this guy had his plus minus was thirty nine across the season in this amateur league. So obviously he'll be playing better opponents in the NHL. Um, but I mean, this, this kid's, he's, he's a dog to say the least. So, uh, yeah, I just want to see, I mean, if Matt, if you have anything to say about yeah, it. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that was great analysis. Um, he, he's kind of the, 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 the next coming Hayden mentions, um, Connor McDavid, he like guys like this, there's been a couple of them in, especially like in the last 20 years, I think Alex Ovechkin was, was, you know, hyped up kind of similar to this. Sidney Crosby definitely was. And then Connor McDavid as well. And it's one of those things where, I mean, those guys have all panned out. So it's kind of, you know, unlike the NBA and the NFL where the draft is such a hyped-up process and you, but you really never know who's actually going to be that great with hockey, these guys who are kind of once-in-a-generation type talents actually usually pan out. I think the only knock against Connor Bedard is his sizes. I think he's like 5'9", um, which is not huge. But in the NHL, which is getting increasingly more, you know, finesse, small guys are, are, are kind of, you know, doing better because you can skate faster and you can, you can uh, stick handle better. It's, it's allowing more opportunity for those guys, you know, those kind of smaller guys to succeed. So yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's a good sign that, you know, he's going to be going to a, a big market, Chicago, right? A team that has a lot of success and a lot of history of, I think they won two, two Stanley Cups in, in three year, in a three year period, I think back in like 20, 12 to 2015 or something like that so you know just a team that just 10 years ago was was really great is now kind of at the bottom of the barrel so it'll be interesting to see if he can help them kind of you know retain that status but uh but yeah hopefully he pans out hopefully it's not again similar to what we were talking about with Bronny. like hopefully it's not too much expectation for a kid that's not really able to play that well all right next the next topic is on the kentucky derby which happened this past saturday which i didn't watch at all this this is the first time in a while that i actually haven't watched the kentucky derby 
So I'm going to let Matt just kind of go over it and, and just talk about what Yeah, it's the first time you haven't watched it because it's the first time you haven't been home where I've had it on. Okay. Well, you well, were, you were never no. you, you've never been seeking out the watch to watch the Kentucky Derby. I love it. I always watch it every year. Obviously, I'm not super into horse racing like outside of the Kentucky Derby and the and the Preakness and the Belmont. Um, but I watch the big three, and that's kind of really you know what most people do. Uh, but yeah, so Mage won, who was not supposed to win. I think that I think it was like 15, 17 to one. But a lot, I saw a lot of people at least on Twitter who you know, we're picking him to win and, and he ended up coming through. But I think the story, the, the funny part is the fact that um, there were two horses scratched from the race. The first horse was scratched, I think like a couple days before. And it was like the literal, like the horse that was like the biggest long shot. Like I was basically projected to come in last place. Uh, and then a couple hours or maybe like five or six hours right before the race started, the favorite, which his name is Forte. Um, he was scratched, I think, because of an illness or know, something went wrong or whatever. So that made it more interesting, I think, or not more interesting, but I think, you know, more like anybody could really, it was anybody's game. Because I think, I mean, usually the favorite doesn't win at the Kentucky Derby, but it's at least like they're kind of coming in one of these top positions. So it's like, is anybody able to beat the favorite really is kind of what it comes down to. But this was more of just an, an open-ended race and it ended up being, you know, kind of really cool to watch. And it's always so cool because it's like, the, there was a horse called Verifying that was like winning the entire like three fourths of the race, and it ends up coming like second to last because they're like the pace setters. Like you can get so deep into this horse racing stuff. It was like Verifying was like a, a, a pace setter, and so he was out there and it was like a blistering pace at first, and then it was like he, he completely slowed down and just completely gave up, and then it was like Mage came around the corner and he was like here he is and he wins the race. So yeah, I was just I just wanted to mention it a little bit because we talked about it because last year too we had an entire segment on it because yeah. Rich Strike won at thirty to one. It was like the second second biggest long shot to ever uh you know win the kentucky derby so after being like he was a replacement because like there was another horse that was scratched where rich strike was like the replacement horse for a horse that was previously scratched so rich strike wasn't even supposed to be in the kentucky derby like a day before it started so um that was a crazy story obviously this year it wasn't as you know wasn't as engaging but at least you know something that i watched last saturday yeah exactly all right there you go and then our next rundown uh segment or topic is iowa and iowa state athletes are currently being investigated for gambling. Is this a big deal, little deal, or no deal? Um, I'll I'll just quickly go first, and I'll just say it's no deal because it happens at every college, I think. And this, I don't know why this is getting so much publicity. I looked it up, and it's like it's it's because it's so large scale. I think it's like 180 something athletes across many sports are getting investigated, and maybe it's just because both colleges are in Iowa. But it's I don't know. I I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like. You know that athletes at college, like college athletes and college staff and everything, like I mean, it happens all the time. Under the cover things or un- undercover things, under the under the table shenanigans have been happening in college sports for as long as they've been around. So I don't I don't think it's that big of a deal, Matt. Well, it it the reason it's a big deal, and I'm not gonna say it's a huge deal because it's it's very kind of honed in on only like one state you know, basically being the two biggest colleges in Iowa. Um, But the reason that it could be a big deal or that it, you know, it, it, the reason that it is a big deal now is being presented as a big deal is because it could become a bigger deal. And obviously when it comes to gambling and sports, the one thing that you don't want to happen is point shave. It's called point shaving, but it essentially means like teams that purposely lose or win games because there's a betting background or there's people that'll gain an advantage in the background, whether it be the players themselves who are betting on the games or coaches or whatever. We saw the Alabama baseball coach get fired because he basically like 
he, he he there was like a video he's like on FaceTime with a guy who's placing like a, a fifty thousand dollar bet on LSU to beat Alabama in this baseball game and then like an hour before or no there wasn't even like any reports but then basically like the Alabama baseball coach purposely like like his starting pitcher who was like one of the best in the in the country that he basically just took him out of the game like right before and didn't tell anybody so then Alabama lost the game and he and his buddy or whoever he was calling won the bet so it's like the integrity of the game matters, and that's why this thing could blow up to be really big, right? Now, obviously, it's Iowa, and in the grand scheme of things, that's not, like, something that's going to impact the, you know, legitimacy of the sport and, and, you know, who's throwing games and whatever. But that's what you want to avoid in a case like this where collegiate athletes are betting. Whether it be on their own sports or not, you, 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 you have to protect the integrity of the game. And if it gets any bigger, gets any more popular, it's, it's essentially like, you know – and it's not even the fact of, like, the game just comes down to, you know, who's on the right side of this of, of betting on this game. It's the fact that the integrity of the game is ruined. It's the honesty of the game. It's, you know, playing the game to win be, does not become the ultimate goal of the team anymore. So that's why this is – that's why it's being portrayed as a big deal and why, you know, these, these students and whoever else are going to be facing punishment. The same reason as, you know – um, Calvin really got inspired, got suspended for an entire season because he placed an, an NFL parlay. He wasn't betting on or against the Falcons, the team that he was on at the time, but it's, it's, and the same thing happened with the Lions players, Jameson Williams being one of them, um, you know, get suspended for the first six games because they were betting on college. They were betting on college football, right? Nothing, absolutely nothing related to the NFL. They were still betting on the team facilities. And it's like the NFL and really anybody who's involved with these sports, you have to attack this and nip it in the bud because if it gets out that these players are betting on games, it doesn't even matter what because as we know, the media can portray anything the way it wants it completely ruined people. It, I don't know. It's just the large scale of what this can become of fans not wanting to watch the sport because they think that players are throwing games. That is the downfall of American sports as we know it. And that, uh, yeah, so it's, it sounds like a, a catastrophe the way I'm explaining it, but it's like you want, you need to make it a big story and, and punish the, the people for doing it while they're in it now, because you're pres you're preserving, you know, in order to preserve um, the kind of the, the future of the sport at least. Okay, and then the last thing uh, that we have here is really just kind of some news that I saw as I was perusing through NHL news uh, a couple of days ago, and it was that Gabriel Landeskog, who we've talked about before on the podcast, just kind of mentioning uh, he plays for the Avalanche in the NHL. He's, he's a hockey player for the Avalanche, if you don't know. Uh, he missed almost his whole season, and then he it was there was a report that came out that he was going to miss the whole playoffs if the Avalanche had even – made it past the first round, which they didn't because they got beat by the Kraken. So it didn't really matter that much. But uh, he's actually going to miss all of next season too because he's, he's going to have another knee surgery apparently. I'm pretty sure he's, he's on the older side. And so maybe this will turn into kind of like a snowball effect where it, it affects his, the rest of his career. I mean, if you miss two straight years in a sport that's as physical as hockey is, it's usually a pretty big deal. So uh, he's had another surgery, which is why he's missing next year too. But – I mean, they're already calling him out for the whole season next season, which kind of sucks for a guy that's, I, th I think he's a captain on the on the Avalanche, is, and so man. yeah, so it, it kind of sucks for a team to to be down a guy like that already going into next season, kind of demoralizes you a little bit. But I don't know, it's it's yeah, it's it's sad to hear, and maybe maybe it's good that they're saying it now, just so that the Avalanche have time to to kind of work through this and and work something out to replace him. Uh, in the off season, going into next season, but yeah, it, it just kind of sucks to hear this news. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big deal. Um, first, obviously, because the Avalanche 
won the Stanley Cup in the year that he played through this injury that has now caught him, you know, kept him out of the last two years. Uh, they won the Stanley Cup, so okay, great. You know, kind of you accomplished the goal there. We saw them lose in the first round very unexpectedly to the Kraken this year, and, you know, Landeskog could be kind of attributed as, like, one of the reasons that they were, you know, they ended up kind of falling short in the first round, and the expectations were, were way higher for this team coming into the playoffs this year. He's also a hockey player who, and these guys are, you know, among the toughest people in the entire world. So for to be out for two straight years after winning the Stanley Cup and being a captain on your team and basically, like, to agree to, you know, be not not play for an entire two years as a hockey player, like, this, this is one of those ones that might be pretty bad. And that's, yeah. again, just kind of one of the unfortunate things is, like, you know, you got a ring out of it, so at the end of the day, it's probably worth it. But you know, right? I mean, the long, the long-lasting effects of this, like, hopefully he's able to kind of get everything fixed. But it's like then he, you know, right? If he comes back and then either re-injures something or you know maybe his his knee or whatever's wrong with with his you know whatever he's getting surgery on, like if it's never the same again, it's like okay, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> hopefully the ring was worth it because that's really all it comes down to is like that's what he got out of this, which again is the ultimate goal of any professional sports player, and that doesn't happen for like. 95% of them. So, okay, cool. That's, that's fine. But at the end of the day, um, it's, it's not good news for a player uh, who is really great on a team that was really great a couple of years ago and has a lot of, or had a lot of expectations coming to this year's playoffs and kind of fizzled out, you know, so it, but more importantly, you know, it's, we want to see that line gets, is able to get back, um, you know, in, in almost, you know, two years from now, basically is, is when we're going to be talking about him next, which is kind of sad to say, but again, probably better to do preventative stuff now, make sure that you're actually, you know, fully healthy to be able to come back. Uh, and if he doesn't come back, that's his decision. And, and we wouldn't force him to, because, you know, again, he, he, he played through the injury once it's, you, sh- you shouldn't be doing that kind of, you know, for the rest of your career. Cause that could really cause problems later on. Alrighty. And that's a wrap on the podcast as a whole. Hope you guys like that new little segment uh, rundown. We will, most likely be having that on on most episodes i would hazard to guess in the future again i i'm i've been thinking about you're wrong man and i i've been thinking about um i guess just recently in the like towards the end of this podcast about how we haven't done it in a long time so maybe that'll be a segment on next episode because we'll be talking about largely the same things i'm i would i would be i would assume is going to be kind of the blueprint for next podcast so um with that being said we're going to sign off for today thank you guys so much for listening as always and again hopefully going to be back to that regular summer schedule that uh that we've had in the past summers have always been have always been really productive for us in terms of the podcast so hopefully it'll be another one of those this uh this summer this year i'm super excited for it and hope you guys are too thank you guys again for listening and we will catch you uh early next week